This is a One More Mosh Pit production. In the big rock candy mountains, you never change your socks. And the little streams of alcohol come a-trickling down the rocks. The brakemen have to tip their hats and the railroad bulls are blind. There's a lake of stew and a whiskey too. You can paddle all around them in a big canoe in the big rock candy mountains. In the big rock candy mountains, the jails are made of tin. And you can walk right out again as soon as you are in. There ain't no short-handled shovels, no axes, saws, or picks. I'm a-going to stay where you sleep all day, where they hung the Turk that invented work in the Big Rock Candy Mountains. That was Harry McClintock bringing us in there with the Big Rock Candy Mountain. A nice whimsical tune. You probably heard it for the first time in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Or maybe you heard the Burl Ives version. I know it's in that one episode of Better Call Saul when the German engineers are working in Gustavo Fring's super lab subterranean building project. But it's not such a nice song. I'm here to ruin that song for you. Here's a little piece of information and the last stanza of the song that's going to just fucking blow your heart through your rubber underpants. Before recording the song, McClintock cleaned it up considerably from the version he sang as a street busker in the 1890s. He was a street musician. He was also probably lived the hobo lifestyle. He was a lot of things, but um, originally the song described a child being recruited into hobo life by tales of Big Rock Candy Mountain. In later years, when McClintock... So it's basically a boy being lured away. To go be a hobo, lured away by some some hobo, or maybe even a bum, who knows. Yeah. We'll explain the differences later. There is a difference. But um, in later years, when McClintock appeared in court as part of a copyright dispute, he cited the original words of the song, the last stanza of which was, The punk rolled up his big blue eyes and he said to the jocker, Sandy, I've hiked and hiked and wondered too, but I ain't seen any candy. I've hiked and hiked till my feet are sore and I'll be damned if I hike no more to be buggered sore like a hobo's whore in the big rock candy mountains. So yeah, that's the last part of that song. The kid's like not buying what Sandy here is selling and he's not about to go get fucked by this gross hobo so that's yeah that's how the song originally went and the reason we're all this hobo talks going on is because we're talking about a very special Mm, individual today um carl panzerum now i was all excited about doing a podcast about carl panzerum and then i realized i had to do a podcast about carl panzerum (laughs) i know you're used to such light-hearted, easygoing content from us, but this is especially dark. Now, this this motherfucker is... He was exhausting to cover. And, I mean, part, parts of it fucked with my psyche a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. There's so many times you could read some of the shit I had to type before you were just like, ugh. It just wore on me, really. I mean, I hope I'm... I'm I hope I'm not reflecting how t- fucking tired I am 
by covering this guy, but it was some work. Before we get too far ahead, just in case you don't remember who we are, I'm Zach Matthews. I'm the host of this little program we call Horrible History Abridged, and we've got a fuck ton of horrible history for you today. And I'm Stephanie, just here trying to keep Zach in line and reading a little bit whenever his eyes get a little bit too crossed. You're going to have to read a lot of this because I've I've been over it so many times. Well, this guy is going to take a long time to cover. I don't know how many pieces this is going to be in, but we're going to try to shoot right through it and break it into digestible pieces. So I guess let's, let's I'll preface this by this man is all quotes. This dude wrote so much. He he told his he told his life story to this prison guard Henry Lesser, and Henry Lesser would publish these letters and accounts from Panzerum. And like forty years after his death, Carl Panzerum was a hobo serial killer, an international murderer, rapist, burglar, and arsonist, and he was legendary in every one of those positions. He was a one-man apocalypse. He was a machine of hatred, power, and dominance. And, like I said, his letters would be archived by Henry Lesser. And that's that's how we know Carl today, because of these letters. I mean, he gained some notoriety on his own, but this is how we know his whole story. And I'm going to tell you firsthand that a lot of this is going to sound like bullshit. Because you hear, hear some of this shit some of these accounts of what, you know, he he tells about his life and you're going to go, okay, really? But the thing is, it's like probably like 98% confirmed. Yeah. This was easily confirmable even back in the early 1900s because you could go back to these places and Carl says he fucking kicked a hole in a door somewhere and they could go and they could see, well, there's a hole in the door there yeah. or he left a corpse. Yeah, there are records and accounts of most of the stories that he has told let's i'm I'm gonna preface this with probably probably one of the best quotes to start it with there's there's a few quotes i have here that are just i didn't know where to stick them in the story so i just put them in the end so i can read them whenever i want basically and these are all from his letters to henry lesser here's one of Here's one of his quotes I could not post on Facebook because I'm on very thin ice. I'm afraid to post anything slightly offensive or violent sounding. But And it took me a long time to think about what kind of voice I was going to give to this guy because I'm just going to... I don't want to make him sound cool or anything, but I'm going to make give him a scary voice. I don't want to make... He's not a cool guy. No, he was a real scary dude. If you... If you get a chance, look up some pictures of him. Uh, he did look remarkably different early in life than later in life. Um, he kind of looks like a different person, but yeah, he he's a scary looking dude. You know, because, well, every institution he got put into, he got the fucking shit beaten out of him. And it was, it was deserved most of the time. Oh, yeah. And, you know, sometimes I can be hypercritical about law enforcement and the justice system in the United States, and I'm going to do that here, but they should have did fucking more to this guy. Yeah, he should never have seen the light of day. He left a fucking hole burnt through reality. This, I mean, what a motherfucker. Anyway, here's a quote from Carl Panzer that pretty much sums up the whole thing. 
In my lifetime, I've murdered 21 human beings. I have committed thousands of burglaries, robberies, larcenies, arsons, and last but not least, I have committed sodomy on more than 1,000 male human beings. For all these things, I am not the least bit sorry. I have no conscience, so that does not worry me. I don't believe in man, God, nor devil. I hate the whole damned human race, including myself. So yeah, that's Carl Pan's room. Yep. And that's going to give you an idea of what kind of adventures we're going to get into with Carl here. Oh yeah. Well honey, I guess just jump right into it. Charles Carl Panzram was born in 1891 in Minnesota. He was the youngest of five born to German immigrant dirt farmers. Uh, he would basically have to get up in the morning, go to school, then work on the farm until time to sleep for just a couple of hours and, and repeat, repeat every day. Over, over again. Their land was awful. They were dirt farmers. So uh, so the dad, Pandrum's father, basically just became a, an alcoholic. He was very ill-tempered, and he eventually just disappeared from his family. I imagine them being very idealistic when they were coming over here, the land of opportunity. Oh, probably. Yeah. Knowing, oh, we're going to get a plot of land, and it's totally not going to be fucking shit. Mm. So the oldest son... Um, he got into gambling and strippers before he settled down to become a cop. So that was pretty cool. Pretty much all of the children were normal except for Carl. Yeah, Carl. And this is where you run into, in a lot of serial killers, you'll run into um, a head injury mm-hmm. in their youth. And Carl's was Carl's was a mastoid that he had growing <laughs> on his skull that the family attempt to remove with home surgery. Yeah, I wouldn't exactly call this a head injury. <laughs> it was, yeah, this was, the whole th- fucking thing was botched <sighs> from the start. I mean, that I don't know. They probably didn't even wash whatever instrument they were digging at him with. They, were, they didn't even know what they're doing. Well, it became severely infected, and he would have to go to the hospital. Where the mastoid was properly removed, but it's believed that the damage had been done to Carl's brain, and afterwards Carl would have severe problems with impulse control and rage that would build the man who he was for the rest of his life. He pretty much had no hope right from the beginning. Um, At the ripe old age of eight years old, Carl was arrested the first time for public intoxication. Nice. Yeah. Uh, his second arrest came at 11 years old, where he was arrested for stealing from his neighbors. He stole some apples and some cake, and, you know, because he wanted to be an American cowboy, he also stole a pistol from them. Yeah, house. yeah. You'll find early on, before that, I hate even myself business got uh, into his vernacular, he did have kind of an idealistic, romanticized idea of himself. Yeah. And, you know, that whole wanting to be a cowboy thing, would it would go with him into his young adulthood. It did. Um, so when he was 11, that second arrest landed him in the Minnesota State Training School in Red Wing, Minnesota. And this is where Carl said he learned of the cruelty of, that man could commit upon another man. Well, it was a Christian facility. Sure. So, sure. Um, Yeah, already. so they believed in beating out the bad and beating in the good. 
He hated them, obviously. A man named John Moore would be the first person to meet Carl when he got to the state training school. And John Moore explained the rules to him. You know, par for the course, pretty mm-hmm. normal stuff. Sure. And then thoroughly examined his rectum and genitals. Afterwards, he asked Carl if he had ever committed sodomy. Of course, Carl did not know what sodomy was. So, John Moore explained it to him in graphic detail. Mm-hmm. Right here, this is something that contributed to the sexual development of Pansrum yeah. and any cruelties, sexual or otherwise, he would just pay forward into the world. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and the employees at the reform school, you know, they were sorely underpaid, they were undertrained, and they were basically just completely ineffective and unnecessarily cruel. It made the circumstances much worse than a prison. There were regular beatings on Saturday nights, so that was their fun Saturday night activity. You gotta have a routine. Oh yeah. Uh, Then Carl was routinely beat for cursing and fighting and pilfering sugar in his hat. Yeah. That type of 11-year-old shenanigans. Uh, They had a special room there at the reform school called the Paint shop and you know just like you would expect at any place where they do arts and crafts and things like that um wait wait no oh no that's that's not what happened in there no uh that is where the boys would be painted black and blue by the staff they were stripped nude and whipped with a leather strap with holes in it and you know what what the holes would They'd cause whelps and blisters, and a towel soaked in salt water was placed over the broken skin that had erupted from the blisters made from the holes. Here's another quote from Carl. Naturally, now, I love Jesus very much. Yes, I love him so damn much that I would like to crucify him all over again. A totally uh, understandable impulse, I suppose. Um... They also built a whipping machine at the reform school. It was basically like a spinning jenny with paddles on it. Yeah. Uh, Carl received so many beatings that eventually he just stopped screaming and crying when he was punished because he just didn't want to give him the satisfaction. As another punishment, they made him wait tables and wash dishes in the officer's dining room. This was not a good idea. Mm-hmm. This gave Carl access to the food of his oppressors. He pissed in every liquid available and would ejaculate on ice cream and other desserts. He said that when he did that, the staff especially enjoyed it. Mm. Of course they did. He just totally went Tyler Durden on all their food. Uh. Well, when he got bored with this bioterrorism, he tried to kill them with rat poisoning. (laughs) (laughs) He just said, this bores me. This isn't fun anymore. Murder. (laughs) <laughs> it was the only time he got caught. They didn't. He never got caught for the the <laughs> donating a specimen to anybody's ice cream or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But the rat poison got him caught. He was taken off that detail and beaten. Sure. The tortures were the most tame he would face in the U.S. penal system. And like most, he would be worse off for having experienced this reform. Swish, swish. <laughs> It made bad people worse. In Carl's case, it only made him angrier, meaner, and tougher. 
1905, Carl's brother drowned in a logging accident, so his mother requested that he was sent back home to help on the farm, but the request was denied because Carl hadn't made enough progress, according to the school. Carl, in an act of retaliation, would burn down the paint shop building. Carl committed many retaliatory arsons in his lifetime. Yeah, this burning things down because he's pissed, this is going to be one of his many fortes. Mm -hmm. Um, But he finally took the advice of some of the more rational students and started faking the whole Jesus-loving part, so he eventually got out early. Quote, After serving about two years there, I was pronounced by the parole board to be a nice, clean boy of good morals, as pure as Lily, and a credit to those in authority and the institution where I had been sent to be reformed. Yes, sure I was reformed, all right. Damn good and reformed, too. When I got out of there, I knew all about Jesus and the Bible, so much so that I knew it was all a lot of hot air. But that wasn't all I knew. I had been taught by Christians how to be a hypocrite, and I had learned more about stealing, lying, hating, burning, and killing. I had learned that a boy's penis could be used for more besides to urinate, and that a rectum could be used for other purposes than crepitating. Oh yes, I had learned a hell of a lot from my expert instructors furnished to me free of charge by society in general and the state of Minnesota in particular. Wow. So yeah, he learned, um, hmm. He He got a lot of, uh, education in the ways of, I guess, um, man-on-man love, as it were. Buggery. Yeah. Yeah, he got, well, hell, he got there and some dude was all fucking ruffling around in his ass and fondling him. Yeah, I can't expect it to go uphill from there. (laughs) (laughs) This is the worst part, I know. Well, let's hear some more things Carl had to say about it. Also, these are all his writings, and I had to correct a lot of his spelling and grammar. He surprisingly probably spells better than some of my Arkansan contemporaries, but like, yeah, I still had to go through and I had to change some things and some of the grammar I left in. I don't know. It was was a little... It was touch and go here and there. From the treatment I received while there and the lessons I learned from it, I had fully decided when I left there just how I would live my life. I made up my mind that I would rob, burn, destroy, and kill everywhere I went and everybody I could as long as I lived. That's the way I was reformed in the Minnesota State Training School. That's the reasons why. He would also say, You know, I spent several years in one of those places reform school. When I was a boy, and the so-called training that I received while there is mainly the cause of my being the degenerate beast that I am today. I have thought about the system of training young boys for all of my life. That This is real dark what he's saying here, knowing what some of the things you learn later. Yeah. And I know that the whole system is wrong. 
the system of beating goodness, religion, and Jesus into boys in the 99 times out of 100 has the direct opposite effect of taking all of the goodness, kindness, and love out of them and then replacing those with hate, envy, deceit, tyranny, and every other kind of meanness there is. Meanness would be a favorite word of his, despite the fact that he never learned how to spell it right, apparently. <laughs> yeah, he he just didn't have a lot of hope. Um, he got to leave that reform school when he was 13 and was released to his mother. But Carl didn't want to go work on the farm, so he claimed he wanted to be a preacher so he could go away to seminary. There, he would immediately be at odds with the German preacher who... Maybe he just didn't know. Uh, maybe he was confused on the what, what the word seminary meant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's what it was. I want to go to the seminary. Good Lord. Yeah. I, I think he probably knew what it was. Yeah, because he was full of shit. He was bullshit, and he's trying to get... He, yeah. he got sprung from the reform school, and he's like... Didn't want to work on this fucking exactly. dirt farm. Yeah, he didn't want to go farm any dirt. Um, but yeah, as soon as he got to seminary, pretty much right off the bat, he was immediately at odds with a German preacher who is issued regular beatings upon him. When Carl had had enough, he got his hands on a Colt pistol. He was inspired by an ad slogan, Be a man either great or small in size. Colonel Colt will equalize. He planned to murder the German preacher with the pistol, but on the attempt, Carl and the preacher got into a scrap, and the pistol fell out of his jacket. He picked it up and aimed at the preacher and pulled the trigger three times without hesitation. Unfortunately for Carl, the gun didn't go off a single time, and for his attempted murder, he was just sent back home. Well, Carl got back home and received more beatings. So he decided it was time to split at the tender age of 13 and start riding the rails and living the hobo life. Now, hobo is kind of what we're going to use as like a uh, blanket term, the hobo lifestyle, but there are many subcultures um, and differences. Uh, for instance, um, bums don't work, and tramps will work if they absolutely have to, but hobos travel to work. And, but a special, I guess a special kind of hobo was known as a yeg. And this is a very interesting subculture. A yeg is a traveling burglar commonly accompanied by, and I quote, his boy. His boy. That's this would be a youth roped into the lifestyle, like I mentioned earlier about the song. The hobo lifestyle had many roles and subcultures and values and tradition. It was, they really had their own thing going on. I won't divulge too much into that, but I'll throw a lot of funny words at you. Not long after he got out and was, you know, really full-flung into the hobo lifestyle, the young Carl Panzram would be gang-raped by four hobos in a boxcar. See, I wasn't fucking around. This is... Man rape was a big deal in hobo lifestyle, and especially boy rape. And you'll, ugh, Jesus. It can't always be funny, folks. No, not funny. He would only pay this trauma forward to so many others throughout his life. He run afoul of a group of men in a livery stable later, 
and they would feed Panzerum booze until he passed out, and he was subsequently raped again by a bunch of dirty hobos. <laughs> yeah, Carl did a lot of boxcar jumping and robbery until he was caught in Butte, Montana, and put in another reform school because, remember, folks, he's still a kid. Um, he attempted murder again there by beating a guard that was giving him the business. He repeatedly hit him in the head with a piece of iron, but for his trouble, the school sent Carl to a hospital where they clipped his foreskin to help curb his masturbating habits. And I don't think that worked. It didn't work. I mean... No, it didn't slow him down at all. Yeah, I've never, never heard much of circumcision being a masturbatory well i mean i guess you you got like <laughs> it gives you that extra movement i reckon i don't know i've never had an intact foreskin so but, but let me tell you as a, somebody that was cut it didn't slow me down at all no didn't did it well carl would escape with a friend named jimmy jimmy and carl would stay busy burglarizing churches and then burning them to the ground fun they would also drill holes on the underside <laughs> of train cars carrying wheat so it gradually empty, leaving a trail behind. So that was to no benefit yeah, of their own. They that was just collecting it or anything. They just Just being fun. complete shitheads. Well, Jimmy got popped for burglary and Carl went back home for a bit before heading westward again. Yeah, Carl got a real bright idea eventually and joined the army. There were territorial armies all around, but the Indian Wars were coming to an end. So many of the men in the armies served for several years and never had any confrontations with Native Americans at all. Most of them found themselves to be just casualties of alcoholism and just slowly poisoning themselves to death with drinking and just out of sheer boredom. They just stationed these guys in the same place day after day. In and around the same place and said, well, if you see an engine, shoot him. Yeah. And then they just sat around and got fucked up all day long. Yeah, pretty much. Like, guys died of alcohol alcohol poisoning mm -hmm. from the boredom of this gig. Yeah, just sitting around drinking. I don't know. I think I'd... Sounds like a pretty sweet gig. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, so, you know... Carl still kind of wanted to be a cowboy, so joined a unit of the army that put him south of the border. This was preferable to him because he said the Mexican churches harbored more gold and silver, and it was just more convenient. He could rob those churches in town and burn them down while on the clock. Despite his professed hatred for himself in these quotes, Pandrum, you know, like we said, he did kind of have a romanticized ideal of himself. And the military gave him a great opportunity to legally murder people without consequence. Yeah, Carl loved that opportunity to just fuck shit up and yeah. rob places wherever they were and being able to kill someone. Mm -hmm. But Carl didn't cotton much to the taking orders and discipline part of the army that are wow. pretty integral. Imagine that. This wasn't his cup of tea. After a little over a month or two, Carl would mess up this arrangement by trying to steal a few army overcoats, a suit, and as many gold collar buttons he could pilfer and carry. He was planning on fencing them wherever possible and then just coming back like nothing happened. 
He was busted immediately. And this resulted in a court-martial. This got him three years at Fort Leavenworth, the absolute worst of the worst military prison in the States. The sentence was handed down by then-Secretary of War and future President William Howard Taft. Panzerum, crazy with revenge as he was, would hold on to this grudge. But more on that later. Yeah, in Leavenworth, the inmates were assigned grades. There were the first grades, which got special privileges, and then there were down to the third grades that were doing the real hard time. Panzerum, as you could imagine, was a third grader. Third graders were under a lot more scrutiny, though. If anyone in the company messed up in any way, the whole bunch of them would have to stand at attention all night long. So, you know, group punishments like that always, always work great. And then, of course, there were more beatings. Straitjackets were used on the prisoners. They were usually tied so tight that the wearer would pass out. I'm sure there's somebody who owns a straitjacket for their own leisure, and, like, this is something they do sexually. And listen, hey, kids, if you're going to do something like that, where you're getting choked and you're trying to get off, have a spotter. Yeah, you don't want to end up like old uh, David Carradine. (laughs) (laughs) David Carradine, his brother claims that he could not have gotten in that contraption by himself. Sure, sure. I'm not sure who killed Bill. I don't know either, but I guess if I was his brother, I'd probably claim the same thing. Um, But stereotypically, a ball and chain was used. and Yeah, the stereotypical ball and chain you you saw in the cartoons back in the day. This was a fucking thing. Yeah. It weighed about 50 pounds, and you earned your ball and chain, and it was referred to as earning the baby for whatever reason. I'm, I'm not real sure about that one. But, uh, yeah, Carl... We're going to say a lot of things that don't make sense. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know what we're talking about, but it's just, I don't know, 100-year-old jargon that we really aren't super <laughs> familiar with. Uh, but, yeah, Carl definitely earned his baby. He was required to wear it 24-7 and had to carry it in his arms when he had to be relocated. He had to march with it to the rock quarry where he worked about four miles away. Um, and he would have to be there for about eight or nine hours of hard labor and then go back the four miles for about six months straight. Um, he was about 20 then and just short of six foot tall and weighed about 90 pounds. So, 190. About, <laughs> yeah, 190. Uh, that would be that would be real weird. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, carrying that ball and chain made him a pretty stout dude, and the energy it took from this daily work was really the only thing that curbed his masturbation habits. Finally, yeah, that that was the only thing that wore him out enough to where he's like, I really gotta balance my energy out yeah. and allocate. I mean, jerking energy. <laughs> Boy, isn't that sad? Oh, I'm earning the baby now. <laughs> don't don't say that. God. <laughs> well, in 1910, he got out of Leavenworth and referred to himself as the spirit of meanness personified. He didn't completely hate himself yet, only everyone else. He was a strong, hardened, white hot ball of hate and rage. 
And that's what came out when he masturbated. Oh, my God. Well, Carl would head to Denver, Colorado, and he said he caught a first-class case of gonorrhea from this woman he met there. Now, this is a reoccurring thing. Mm -hmm. This is basically, it's dubious whether or not he caught this STD. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but Carl would attempt heterosexuality, but he was... It, he just didn't want to admit that he was a full-on gay man. Yeah. He didn't want to admit that. I don't... There's so many ways he tips. He tiptoes around it, but he preferred the um, assholes of men or mouths. I don't know. We'll get to that later. Uh, yeah. But... Yeah, but that was always his, his cover story. Like, well, you know, when I... Fuck that woman. I got gonorrhea, so <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to do that again. Women are icky. Ew. Well, I mean, <laughs> Pansrum would steal a bike, and this landed him in jail for a few months in Denver, and he made friends with a 50-year-old safe cracker and was curious about cracking safes as the skill would definitely help his burglary game. He was released, but... The safe cracker guy was serving nickel. He's he was still he was in there for five years. So Carl wanted to get the guy out. So Carl immediately robbed a hardware store where he stole a bunch of files, like you know, metal files, yeah. not like sensitive documents. <laughs> well, he'd strap them to his legs under his pants and probably walk real funny and stiff. He went back to the jail to break back into the jail and spring his friend. He got caught and was put back in jail. Well, according to Pansrum, the 50-year-old safe cracker got the idea that Carl was in love with him. What? And the older man allegedly tried to rape Carl. Right. But Carl was stronger, commenting explicitly on the old man's weakness. And Carl established himself as not broken to ride. So Carl raped him back. Yeah. <laughs> he just he just took the fifty year old man, had his way with him. You know, turnabout's fair play, I guess, for Carl. Well, after he got out, he robbed a few churches and found himself at the Kansas State Fair, where he joined Colonel Dickey's Circle D Wild West show. That sounds like a lot of fun. Oh. <laughs> He was fired, though, sadly, shortly after uh, joining them because he would fight anyone and everyone around him, even the horses. Which... He was fight. He was Mongo in Blazing Saddles. He was fighting the horses, which I don't blame uh, yeah. you, Carl. I mean, you would fight a horse. Fuck those equine bastards. <laughs> I just am imagining, like, Russell Crowe. On South Park. <laughs> Fighting around the world. <laughs> yeah, Carl caught up with the Circle D show at Missouri State Fair. And in retaliation, because, you know, that's... that's Retaliation is Carl's bread and butter. Revenge fire. Yeah, so he burned down their horse and cook tent and split for St. Louis. Well, you'll find that Carl... Both will simultaneously fight against the man and fight for him. 
in a few situations in his life. Uh, in St. Louis, he got a gig as a strike breaker for the Illinois <laughs> Central Railroad. He just did whatever was the most violent, yeah, aggressive this, thing he could find to do. Definitely another opportunity for legal and paid violence. He would just beat guys up until they went back to work. He then headed for Jacksonville, Texas. He pilfered some money and a couple of pistols, and he procured himself, I quote, mm. a curly-haired, blue-eyed fat boy. Yeah. And he was going to do the yeg thing, now having a boy required. God. Now, the boy doesn't just help in robberies. No. Well, other words for boy included punk, Angelina, Prussian, and those are hobo terms of which I, the etymology is gone. It doesn't, there's no connection to old hobo days to figure out what the fuck those meant and why they call them that. But I'm going to throw a bunch of other words at you that are basically um, boys for sex. Yeah. Well, pans from elaborates. A punk is a poofter and a poofter is a prider. And a prider is similar to a fruiter. The only difference between the two is that one likes to sit on it and the other likes to eat it. (sighs) (laughs) So, (laughs) I guess a prider and a fruiter, respectively, is a butt boy and a mouth boy. Yeah, I mean, and they're not all necessarily boys. Some of them are. They're not like, yeah, we're not, they're not all, but. Yeah, uh, yeah, let's just get into this fucking Anybody else story. exhausted already? Jesus Christ. Jesus. Um, Pan- Pansrum and his boy were arrested in Texas. The police took Pansrum's guns, but left him his boy. Uh, left him his boy. Yeah. Like, no, so long as you don't have those weapons, we don't care what you do to oh, this yeah. curly blue-eyed boy's butt. Oh, God. Anyway, they were subsequently sent to a road gang. Well, you'll be glad to know that when they got sent to the road gang, they did their due diligence by taking that boy away from Pansrum and mm. away from danger. Uh. No, I'm just kidding. They took the boy away from Pansrum, but they gave him to the boss man on the road gang. And that was the boss man's fat boy for a little bit. Well, eventually the boss man tired of the boy and he sent him back to Pansrum and the other prisoners. Here's another quote with some words that I'm not going to attempt to define. Just <laughs> you use your imagination. Quote, I've been mixed up in every kind of crooked deal with every kind of crook there is. Con men and gang men, prowlers and boosters, stick-up artist, can-opener artist, and sometimes face artist. Peter men and box men, paper hangers and grape hangers, hustlers and rustlers, pimps and McGimps, hookers from the big towns and hookers from the sticks, big shots and pikers, dynamiters and sodomiters, fruiters and poofters, dingbats and gay cats, shiv men and gunmen, needle pumpers and snoot snifters, hotheads and jugheads. Wise guys and dumbbells, bootleggers and rum runners, wolves and gunzels, dips and shark card gamblers, home guards and boomers, 
boost fighters and cob lighters, and last but not least, musclers and guzzlers. I have put 29 years in the game of books and crooks. There is no angle in this game that I haven't tried at some time or another. I've even tried running a gas station. <laughs> like that was, he's like, <laughs> you think that's bad? Selling petroleum, that is the greatest grift. <laughs> and maybe it is, knowing yeah. now. Maybe he knew something we didn't. Yeah, no. um, yeah the, he, he'll explain what um, a face artist is, at least. A face artist is an exceptionally well-experienced fruiter. One who knows his bananas better than an amateur. A face artist is one who goes down for lunch and nosedives into the bushes when he's hungry. <laughs> Jesus oh my God. Christ. If you, if you had an appetite prior to this and you still do, I... There's something wrong with you. I... There, there's uh, also sucking... They're sucking early 1900s uncircumcised cheese dick. Well, at least they're not having to get a whiff of any slow-cooked crock-pot pussy. Hey, don't don't saturate (laughs) the market with that. That's still very much part of my act. That's my get-her-done. Slow-cooked crock-pot pussy. (laughs) Well, Pandrum's 40 days were up, but the boss refused to let him go. Carl attempted to escape. But for this, he had to face the snorting pole. The snorting pole, well, it was common in the early 20th century to be used as a system of punishment yeah, was, in the southern penal system. Yeah, this was a pretty much everybody had a snorting pole. Yeah, so a rope was hooked to a 12-foot pole. The rope was then attached to a prisoner's handcuffs and wrists, and his wrists were um, held above his head, and his toes were barely touching the ground. He was stripped naked and whipped with an eight-foot-long snake whip called a red heifer, and there was a load of lead at the bottom that functioned as a blackjack. Yeah, under the handle, you could dunk somebody yeah. on the head with it. Right, so... um I don't know. I'm I'm trying to imagine this, but basically they yell and jump and snort, and that's pretty much where the name Snorting Pole came from. Carl had some comments on it. When a man is let down after being whipped, he has blood on his back and murder in his heart. Yeah, I mean, if you can imagine this, stuff like this made bad criminals worse. Again, like we said. Panzerum finally got out, uh, but he'd robbed chicken coops and burned them and set prairie grass or the woods on fire when he got out, just causing mayhem and burning anything that would burn. He was eight-year-old Zach with a lighter. (laughs) In some respects, (laughs) yeah, I guess. Anything that would burn. Anything that'll burn. Uh, But that's how he handled his frustration, much like eight-year-old Zach. But, Among other things. <laughs> uh, yeah, eventually that wasn't enough anymore. So he'd ride trains and try to shoot out the windows of farmhouses, which, again, adolescent and young adult Zach probably would have enjoyed that activity. Uh, I did shoot windows out before. What's the statute of limitations? We might need to cut this. When railway officials caught up with him, He'd take out his Bible and pretend to be a good Christian man, and it got him out of trouble sometimes. 
At one point, a brakeman would catch Carl and two other hobos on a train and ask who they were and what they were doing. And Carl pointed his pistol at the brakeman and remarked, I'm the fella that goes around the world doing people good. <laughs> and he wasn't, it's not good. Like, he wasn't, I'm doing them good. No, like, He's doing I'm them doing good. I'm doing good. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the brake man, of course, backtracked of having a fucking pistol pointed at his goddamn head. He backed on his threatening tone. What are you hobos doing here? He even gave Carl everything he had on him, and he offered to buy the three hobos dinner. Oh, good. I bet Carl was happy to hear this and just let him go on about his way. I I don't think Carl took the meal as he would rape the brake man right on the coal car floor. And then, once he was done, he forced the other two hobos to rape him, too, at gunpoint. Yeah, I guess that does make a little bit more sense. A little, a little more, um, you know, on track for Carl. I wonder if he did him good. Oh, God. <laughs> well, in San Francisco, Pandrum was busted trying to fence a stolen watch in a bar called the Louvre because of its decor of nude oil paintings. And, um touting that it had the longest bar in the world. Fancy place. Yes. Carl was told that if he pled guilty, he'd be given a short sentence, but they gave him seven years in the Oregon State Pen, one of the worst prisons in America at that point, where pretty much all of them were terrible and just abysmal. The prosecutor reneged, which enraged Carl, if you can imagine. Me enraged? <laughs> I know, I know. And... I never lose my temper. It, that was that was a pretty stiff sentence for theft. Um, the stay there would kick Carl up a notch in his violence and hateful criminality, which I personally have a hard time fathoming that being kicked up a notch. But oh, it gets worse I, exponentially. Oh, I know. I just and I say don't know yes. How. I I actually typed out that that was a stiff sentence for theft. There was no sentence too stiff for Carl Panstrom. No. I mean, they should have gave him life yeah, for just, that fucking watch. God, just just because it was him. But the Oregon State Pen Administrator ran the prison as a prototypical for-profit prison like we have today. Yeah, there's a man named Mento. I just have his last name, um, but I have his brother's full name for some reason, but go on. Well, Mento cut pay down from a dollar a day to a quarter a day to save money and funnel cash meant for the inmates' families uh, into an institutional betterment fund. <laughs> institutional betterment fund used to buy machinery to make up to make the state more money. Yeah, this shit is still commonplace. They're still they're still running schemes like this. Yeah, it's, it's basically slavery. I mean, it's legal slavery and uh, uh, corrupt officials can also skim off the top. Yeah. But the staff wasn't any better than Mento. Jim Vinegar Cooper was Mento's main guy and he was the he was known as the man of flogs. And also guard captain Jack of Clubs. Both of these guys employed brutal techniques. It was a draconian prison system, even for the time period. Vinegar liked to whip men in a room full of roses with a cat of nine tails while singing hymns. Yeah, this was a weird sexual thing for him. He didn't admit it, and the hymns were probably a cover-up. But, yeah, he totally got off whipping men. He 
definitely fired off some fucking underwear oysters doing that. Ew. He was pouring Bisquick. He was laying it on thick in his BVDs. Uh, I, hey, I've got to I've got to get grosser every time I say something. I, I I'm feeling a lot of indigestion right now. I'm I'm not sure if it's the story or all the Reese's cups I just ate. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, the hummingbird was one of their methods of torture. It was a steel bathtub filled with four or five inches of ice-cold water. Prisoners were chained inside of it, and a sponge was placed on them and connected to an electric battery. You remember the sponges, folks? We Uh, talked about it. Yeah. Go back and listen to the old episodes. Yes, go back and listen. They're all so good. So uplifting. Actually, it might be a nice palate cleanser to listen to our old um, execution series after this, honestly. I'll send Pansman after you. Jesus. Anyway, Pansrum said the hummingbird felt like a million red-hot needles, which I could only imagine. The sponge-directed current liked the electric chair, and it would be moved about to different parts of the body with um, by a guard with a rubber glove on. Now, the rubber gloves were, you know, required because yeah. you, you don't want to get shocked. They were definitely necessary, but, like, I don't know. Somehow mm-hmm. it adds to the sexual nature of it. Uh, yeah, and this isn't outlandish to think everything had a weird sexual undertone. Well, guess who had some comments about the hummingbird? Who? Carl Pants. What? Carl would remark, about two or three minutes in, the victim is ready for the grave or the meadows. There's not a single mark or bruise on his whole body. I mean, I guess that's a good method to use if you're going to fucking abuse the shit out of somebody. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it sounds very effective. I I can't... We'll hear about some wellness checks, I guess, the state would make on (laughs) prisoners, and that's pretty smart. Yeah, well, Pandrum constantly tried to escape, which just pretty much added to the chaotic powder keg that was already the Oregon State penitentiary. Pansrum felt like he needed to scare the guards more than scaring the inmates. Yeah, I feel like he, you know, when you want to, you go into prison and let everybody know you're not a bitch, I right. think he was less interested in scaring the other inmates as well, he just wanted to strike fear in the hearts of anybody who represented any kind of authority. I seriously doubt any of the inmates were challenging him at all. Like, he probably established dominance pretty much immediately just with his existence. And his dick. Uh, Well, it was circumcised, so that probably was like a novelty to them. It probably helped to slide. Uh, Anyway. uh, Oh, my God. Flawlessly into a man's anus. Shut up. (sighs) (sighs) (laughs) Did you get all hot and bothered by that? I I feel bile rising in my esophagus. One of the first riots that broke out, noticed I said one of the first riots that broke out while Carl was there in the Oregon State pen. He waited for shift break and he held his cell door open to keep it from closing properly and um, he got out whenever the officer left. He was locked on the bridge. So wait, like they just went on break and said, yeah, ah, you know, I guess, handle yourself. I guess. And 
Yeah, they didn't make sure his cell was locked. I don't know, man. I'm going to eat a Charleston chew and have a (laughs) strawberry phosphate. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. You are so up to date on your early 20th century jargon and, and, you know. I have no fucking idea if that's from that time or not. (laughs) You never have any idea. You just say it with enough authority. Well, if you say it with conviction. Yeah. Who these motherfuckers don't know? None the wiser. (laughs) I could tell them Panzerum became Santa Claus and they'd believe me. Oh, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I'm kidding. Please (laughs) listen to my podcast. (laughs) I would never insult you fans. Um, so when he was locked on the bridge, he stuffed everyone's cell locks yeah you just with, jam shit up in the locks so nobody can get out yeah so um after he stuffed them with rags he burned everything in the hallway until they managed to put him in isolation and all of this is documented it's all on record he tried to escape about a half dozen times and each time about a half dozen inmates would try to escape with him Panzerum wrote If I couldn't escape, I'd help everyone out that I could. Which seems much, like, uncharacteristically altruistic. But it's he's just causing chaos. He just wants to cause trouble. And where in the fuck is he getting all this means of ignition? (laughs) Are they giving him fucking matches or some shit? I don't know. He's he's very resourceful. He's a fire risk. Do not give him anything. (laughs) Don't give him a fucking magnifying glass. Yeah, I mean, you didn't even get to have shoelaces when you were locked up. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) They made all the chairs like 180 pounds, so you couldn't throw them. And it's not like you could throw them through that plexiglass anyway. I still picked one up over my head. I asserted dominance when I was was locked up in a nervous hospital. Yeah. We couldn't even have, like, plastic trash bags. Like, it was giant 55-gallon fucking paper grocery bags <laughs> in the trash cans. Uh. <laughs> I, saw, I saw one time somebody was playing hangman on the whiteboard, and I said, that's really inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, if anyone's going to do any inappropriate shit, it should be you. Um, oh, I did. I'm, I'm sure. Might makes right. <laughs> you had all those... Poor, poor hospital nurses just shaking in their spurs. They made me go to group, and I had this captive audience where I could just basically do stand-up for these people. It's basically you guys. <laughs> just close your eyes and imagine you're all mental patients in the, in the nervous hospital. It was like Jack Nicholson in Cuckoo's Nest. <laughs> well, Only not as cool. I'm sure it's very cool. But with the same hairline. <laughs> Well, Panzer managed to help 21-year-old Otto Hooker escape. Otto Hooker. That sounds... That's from the makers of RoboCop. (laughs) Otto Hooker. Well, Hooker made it outside the walls before he absconded with a gun. Warden Mento joined in on the hunt with a shotgun. That would be a stupid fucking idea on Mento's part. Yeah. I could only imagine, but we're about to find out. By the time the manhunt was over, Otto had killed Mento. Mento's brother, John, would take over the job, and he pretty much cracked down on things even harder than they were under his brother. Pandrum would come back harder, and 
as well against the new warden. He stole a few dozen bottles of lemon extract from the storeroom because it was 85% alcohol. 85% there's, alcohol. There's a there's a flame or a... Um, that's Yeah, that's an accelerant. There's but, an accelerant but, for you. But, yeah, 85% alcohol lemon extract. Yeah. And I'm drinking fucking mouthwash and vanilla extract like some kind of plebeian. <laughs> well, don't forget about the hand sanitizer. Yeah, hand sanitizer. It's ad Sprite. I had an uncle who drank oh. high karate cologne. <laughs> he just did that for his breath. A brass. great uncle. He's fucking dead. Oh, imagine that. <sighs> that big, like, growths all over. But I'm not going to go into this. Yeah, let's just, let's move on to, to sunnier subjects. That's um, pretty funny. So, Panzerum used the lemon extract to get all of the groups of inmates drunk. He abstained and egged them on in a fight with some guards. 85% alcohol? Yeah. I'd, I'd punch a guard right in the face. <laughs> right in the kisser. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pow. <sighs> he said the prison shop's on dick. fire. If you can imagine that, he set them on fire as a distraction to escape. He Does was, he have like a flint rock or some shit I he's running around? I don't. They're just the calluses on my hands. <laughs> yeah, he just men rubs down. his hands. Oh, God. <sighs> they can't slip away. My hands are full of grit. God. Well, sadly, Panzerum was caught pretty much immediately and assigned to the bullpen with the other rebellious prisoners. The prison was being compartmentalized to make smaller prisons within a prison to hold Panzerum and others like him. In the bullpen was the bull circle. A circle was drawn on the floor and the prisoners were to walk into the circle where they were beaten for any misbehavior or shot on sight for leaving the circle. While in the circle, Panzerum would scream and bang his bucket all night despite being in the hole. Other prisoners would hear him and follow suit. Yeah, just be a loud asshole all yeah. night. He just, he didn't give a fuck who he disturbed. He, he just, as long as he was disturbing. Yeah, he, he really just wanted to annoy the fuck out of people and cause whatever chaos he possibly could. I couldn't have banged that bucket because I'm telling you, 45 minutes in that cell, I probably would have had to take a shit. <laughs> he probably a bad did too. Shit. He probably just had to, he probably just threw it. I'm never, somewhere. I'm never more than 48 hours away from the worst shit of my life. You're welcome, listeners. Thank you for sticking around with us for this long, and I do apologize for all of the information you never wanted to know about, Zach. I might have Crohn's. I might need to look into it. You probably do. It's it's a problem. Anyway, two prisoners did eventually escape from the bullpen. They couldn't be punished, so the guards punished Panzerum for their escape instead, because... That makes sense. I mean, not saying he didn't deserve it for one thing or another, but yeah, he was don't literally... You just anytime anybody gets punished, punish Panzerum too. Yeah. So he got the fire hose in the basement. He was stripped, chained to the door, and got the full brunt of the high-pressure torrent. He was covered in bruises when it was all over. It was just like Farva on Super Troopers right. with the powdered sugar. It's delicious. The lice hate the sugar. Well, we got this was not here. this was not completely to 
Panzerum's chagrin, this whole holzing incident, because he... He got to getting he would He would explain an advantage he got from it. Carl would say, My privates were as big as those of a jackass. The full effects of this didn't wear off completely. And I tell you what, I was thankful. So it made his dick swell up to a point that like his dick didn't unswell. Yeah. So I'm guessing I'm guessing at this point he's got scar tissue on his dick. Oh yeah, definitely. But it's got that shell of <laughs> scar tissue, yet the balloon still fills up with red fluid, right? It's still he's like uh-huh. rocking a Coke can now. Uh-huh. In yeah. which he can inflict the utmost Rectal damage. Oh, my God. Uh, yep, yep, yep. That's probably exactly what he was happy about. It, oh, it's exactly what he was happy about. Yeah. His dick was effectively a weapon now. Yeah, well, from his stay at the Oregon State Pen, he had this massive hatred of people from Oregon and would just terrorize every single one of them he met afterwards. Kind of like Zach with horses. Yeah, he would like people from Oregon. He figured out anybody from Oregon, he'd like back them in the corner. He wouldn't like do anything violent to them, but he would just be just a fucking huge scary dickhead to them. Mm-hmm. Just because he hated being in the Oregon State Pen so much. Yeah. The news of Carl's hose punishment reached the state house and John Minto was fired for his cruelty. The scandal was statewide and it was the beginning of Panzerum's notoriety. I think we're at a good stopping point. Yes, he is out of the Oregon State Pen. Yeah, he's... No, he's still in the Oregon State oh, pen, God. but he he yeah. got Mentos gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's and right. And you're gonna you're gonna see a new guy that inexplicably treats Carl very well and gives him some idiotic privileges. Yeah. This is. But we'll get to that on the next one. Y'all can listen to this one because I'm gonna I'm gonna release it after I get done editing. Editing it. Editing? Editing penitentiary. When I get done cutting out the shitty parts, <laughs> I'm going to put it out. And you can listen to this one while I take way too long to edit the next one. Yeah, you'll probably have time for a nice little palate cleanser between episodes, which you should take advantage of. This is heavy and... um. Yeah, it only gets heavier. It's it's a this lot. This is child's play what I've covered so far. It's a lot, guys. Uh, so thanks for sticking around. We really appreciate you guys listening. Thank you for listening. We're going to keep going. Yep. But We're going to give you a guy, guys a break, but we are not going to take one ourselves. i got to piss at one point and go get more beers out of the fridge. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So it's going to get real slurry once we get to the fourth act. Uh, Yep, so if you've stuck with us for this long, don't expect anything, you know, up to to these standards for the next episode. You know, this is basically, more than anything, a comedy podcast. Yeah. That's the the forefront of all this, but holy shit, there's some stuff in here that just ain't funny. No, I mean... Carl's ridiculousness, just how outlandish he is, is a little bit humorous, but this isn't our typical lighthearted, funny stuff we 
I can make I can make dark jokes, folks. But listen, I can't make them make them palatable. No. You gotta you gotta have an acquired taste for that one. And yeah, and if you're listening, reasonably, we, not a lot of people do. We have to assume you probably do. Because you know how dark I go at times. This is some of this stuff is dark. It's some of this dark. stuff is Wesley Snipes. <laughs> you can't say that. Darknesses. <laughs> All right. Thanks for sticking around, guys. Tune in next time for more Horrible History Abridged. Carl Pansrin. <laughs> Adios. Bye. This has been a One More Mosh Pit production. Available on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Basically, wherever you can find quality podcasts. If you liked what you heard here today, spread the word. Or go check us out on Facebook. We have a page. You can come and like and follow us and keep up with all our stuff. And you know what? If you didn't like what you heard here today, keep that shit to yourself, huh? 